Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal Worship Service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession of sin this morning is from Proverbs 20, verse 3. It is honorable for a man to stop striving, since any fool can start a quarrel. Men think that the honorable thing to do is to stand up for your rights. If you won't defend yourself, nobody will. Our pride tells us that we deserve respect, and thus we demand it. We justify our feelings, and then we act on them. The other guy shows no greater discernment, thus a quarrel is born. This proverb, however, teaches that that is the easy part. Any fool can start a quarrel. It is natural to get on your high horse. It is like boating downstream or like falling down. No honor there. The proverb says that what is honorable is to stop quarreling, to stop striving. There's the challenge. Take the hit and not retaliate. To be wronged and not get all bent out of shape about it. That is tough. So is this proverb teaching us to run around like a bunch of abused puppies with our tails between our legs? No. That's a ditch on the other side of the road of wisdom. What the proverb is teaching is that we are better than stooping to the fool's level. We needn't demean ourselves by engaging in petty, in petty quarrels. The reality is that it takes two to tangle. If you cease fighting, the other guy is the one who looks like the fool. This is the wisdom of the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus commands to turn the other cheek, to give the shirt as well as the coat, and to walk two miles instead of one. This is the kind of behavior that, that, that wins friends. It changes the game. If someone pokes you in the eye and you poke him back, what do you have? Two guys with black eyes. However, if the same thing happens and you pray for him, bless him, and honor him, he might look at you a little queerly, but you've laid the foundation of a bridge that can make an enemy into a friend. And that is what the gospel does. It takes the enemies of God and makes them his friends. That is true peace. It is honorable for a man to stop striving. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. So if you're willing and able, please kneel as we confess our sins. Wisdom, taken out of Ecclesiastes. We're in chapter 9, verses 10 through 18 today of Ecclesiastes. And we're starting a new series within the book titled Wisdom. This is the theme of the last argument of the book of Ecclesiastes. So far, Solomon has told us that we are nothing. Therefore, we must look 
to something, or rather someone. We must look to God who's in control. And then he told us that God is in control despite the mirage of vanity and evil and wickedness. And now he tells us how to avoid emptiness in the vanity. Thus, this series of sermons is titled, Wisdom. How do we avoid emptiness in, in, in the world under the sun? Last week, the preacher exhorted us to relish life, to seize it, to grab onto it, to enjoy it. And this week, he starts to tell us how. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. In short, Solomon is telling us, put your back into it. And this is why. Life is short. Make your mark while you still can. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. This is not the fatalist perspective that we are to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That perspective opens its eyes and looks out and, and it sees death and darkness, suffering and pain. It sees the loss of good things and the injustices that happen on the earth. And then it just gives up because, the, because of the meaninglessness of it all. After all, what's the point? Isn't it all vanity anyway? Shouldn't we just lay down our tools, kick up our feet, and throw in the towel? In contrast, what Solomon commands here is to work. And to work hard. That is a response of faith in the face of evil and sin in the world. It is a deep trust that the work we are doing is not empty or vain. And that there is a reward beyond merely what we can see and what we can touch. Because that can go away. That is vanity. In the knowledge and understanding that God is sovereign and God is in control, we are not to be partial in our service to God. We're not to give Him only part of us. The great commandment, as summarized by Jesus in Mark, instructs us as to what God expects. The great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This doesn't give us any wiggle room for sin. We can't be 95% Christian and 5% whatever suits us. It's an all or nothing sort of thing. Jesus plus anything is not Jesus. Salvation is only of God, and therefore, you belong to God, all of you. None of you is left behind. You are to serve Him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Put your back into it. We live in a culture that loves to make life easy. We are constantly inventing things that make life easier, that simplify things. Popular movies and music glorify the slacker, the lazy, and the non-motivated. The fairy tales that are told to our young people teach that once you've arrived at a certain place, life is simply happily ever after. 
these are flat-out denials of the work that is expected and needed in the lives we live. We cannot stop once we get somewhere. The work that a high school or college student does to achieve his diploma is not a ticket to get out of work. It's a proof that he knows how to work and should be an indication that of his willingness to go out and work and grow and learn more. But this command is not satisfied with good enough. God is not egalitarian, and neither is his world. Some people may have all they can handle to graduate from high school or college. All the, it's everything they can do to get through the, to the end of the day. While others could do it with their eyes shut and one hand tied behind their back. It's not fair, but that's the world we live in. God's not egalitarian. But the command given here is for all of us, no matter if we're capable of much or not capable of as much, to do it with our might. Which means that if God has given you the blessing of a greater intellect, or aptitude, or insight, then you are answerable to Him for using it to the best of your ability, with your might, and for His glory. If you find yourself able to accomplish your work with the fraction of your resources, then find a profitable way to expend your excess. Don't go and fritter it away watching television, surfing the net, or playing video games. Don't waste your energies reading garbage or waste your time napping. The resources and time you have are gifts. Then they are precious. We are all going to the grave. And once we are there, we can't change what we did with the time we had. If you cannot find profitable stuff to do, then go ask for guidance. Talk to your parent, your elder, or your pastor. Read your Bible. Seek out a charity or find a good cause to support. You will find that as soon as you ask, there are more needs than your abilities to meet them. There is room for you to work with all your might in this world. Regardless, when you've expended your might in doing what the Lord has given you to do, you will know it. You will sleep with a good conscience, as Solomon told us earlier. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much. Paul reiterates this wisdom in Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. So this isn't just Old Testament wisdom, this is repeated by Paul. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not to be busy for the sake of being busy. We're doing it for a purpose, we're doing it for Jesus Christ. We are to serve Him and serve Him wholeheartedly. Give yourself over to Him and don't be wimpy about it. Throw yourself into it. Give it your all. And you will find that you will gain momentum. Because God is in control, as, as Solomon has been arguing thus far. It is wise for us to do what He gives us to do. In earnest, so that He can bless us in our doing of it. 
The wisdom here is clear from a metaphor my former pastor once told me, Pastor Wilson. He said, God doesn't steer parked cars. God doesn't steer parked cars. God is in control and he blesses faithfulness, but faithfulness is doing what he tells us to do, and what he tells us to do is to put our back into it. Forward momentum. Live life. Work hard. Do it with your might. After this exhortation, the preacher makes an observation. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill. But time and chance happen to them all. Chance here is not something that falls outside of God's realm of control. God is sovereign. He ordains all times. What chance here is, it is simply that it means happening. Life happens. Life happens. God sees how and why things are happening the way they are happening. He knows who will win the race or the battle. He knows who will eat and who will have money and fame. And he knows why, but, but we don't. Time and chance happen to us. From our perspective, it appears to be chance, happenstance. And it doesn't make sense. What we see is not logical. This is proven in death also. For man also, this is verse 12 of Ecclesiastes 9. For man also does not know his time. Like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare. So the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. We are like fish and birds, caught in the nets of evil, and suddenly we're gone. It's appointed unto men once to die. Each one of us will die. Every man who was ever born since Adam has died. And it was frequently not expected. It was not looked for. In some sense, it's like that sermon from the movie Pollyanna. Death comes unexpectedly. That's true. You don't expect it when you're going to die. To us, time and chance take their toll. Every one of us faces these realities. And because of this, the world can be very confusing. Yet God has not left us without a lighthouse, a guide, or a cause for hope. He has revealed himself in the world, and in his word he has revealed to us what wisdom is, which is what he's doing here, right here in this text, he's telling us what wisdom is. In the words of the preacher, because the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill. Because of these things, because life doesn't make sense, we must live not by what we see, but by faith and hope. We must accept the world for what it is. We must look outside of ourselves for the meaning of it all. Our logic doesn't work for it. Since we can't explain it, we must turn to him who can to God. And when we do, we will find that even in a world where sinners lose, where winners lose, and death comes unexpectedly, 
Wisdom is still superior to the best efforts of men. Turning to God, doing what He says is superior to the best efforts of the, of the wisdom of the world. To prove his point, Solomon gives us a little story. Ecclesiastes 9, verses 13 to 15. This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and the great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares about it. And there was found in it a poor wise man. And he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that same poor man. So a great king has come and besieged a little city, and a poor wise man in that little city, with few men in it, has the ability to confound the great efforts of the great king. Yet because he is poor and despised, the poor wise man is not remembered. So wisdom is better than strength, even if it does not bestow great glory to the one who brings it, because men are frightfully ungrateful. However, this story, this text, may also be interpreted another way, as, as the poor wise man could have delivered the city, but didn't because he was despised and not remembered and not listened to. He may have been telling everybody he could, but he was ignored. And even though he could have saved the city, the city was lost because the few men in it did not heed his wisdom. No one remembered that same poor man. This reading would be supported by the following verse, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 16, where Solomon now turns to analyze his little story. And he says, Then I said, Wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. So this would indicate that wisdom is superior to the best efforts of men. But even if you have wisdom, it's still not a free pass or a guarantee of success in this life. Because men are frequently not willing to listen to reason, to wisdom. The wise man has no control over how he is heard, or even that he is heard. Then Solomon gives us an exhortation, verse 17 and 18. Words of the wise, spoken quietly, should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. This is a truism. Wisdom is greater than folly, no matter what the volume level is, or who is giving the command. It could be a great and powerful ruler shouting down your throat folly, and a poor wise man Speaking the truth and giving wisdom is better. That wisdom is better than all of the raging of the world. Wisdom is greater than folly no matter what the circumstances. This reminds me of the episode in Acts when the apostles were arrested by the Sanhedrin. The rulers of the Jews, they were beaten and threatened and commanded not to preach in the name of Jesus. And they responded with a simple, quiet but should we obey men or God? That's reason. That's wisdom. That was true wisdom. Wisdom has greater rewards, and wisdom achieves its end. It is better than the weapons of war. The poor man's wisdom could have saved the city, despite the siege works and great army of the king. 
But wisdom is not invincible. And men are doomed to suffer covenantal consequences. One sinner destroys much goods. good. We are all bound to our communities. When our leaders make bad choices, we suffer the consequences, even if we disagree with their choices. If the wise man does not have the ruler's ear, the city is lost, even though the knowledge to save it was right there, fully accessible to the ruler of the city. Sin destroys good. The ultimate example is the first sin. Adam ate the fruit, and one sinner destroyed much good. Our covenant head brought death and suffering into the world by his disobedience. And because of that, wisdom in this world has its limits. Jesus, the perfect man, the truly, ultimately wise man, God in the flesh, even Jesus died in this world. Wisdom has limits here. Wisdom shows us what life is to be and what it may be. It instructs us about how to live. And it is good, but it cannot guarantee life or indefinitely preserve it under the sun in the vanity of this world. God gives wisdom, which is life, but sin brings death. And then until the end of this world, death will remain an enemy which we all must face. But the good news is that God has given us a wisdom that supersedes even that enemy by pointing to a life which is not vanity, a life which is not under the sun or of this world, a resurrection life that eliminates the fear of death. Paul points to this gospel in 1 Corinthians 1. He compares the wisdom of the world with the wisdom of God. He compares the best efforts of men with the sovereign plan of Almighty God, starting at verse 20, 1 Corinthians 1. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world, through wisdom, did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells us that wisdom is greater than strength. And Paul tells us that Jesus is greater than philosophy. Solomon explains that wisdom has limits in this world, but Paul is proclaiming the great reversal of that truth. Continuing on in verse 26, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. The base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. God intervened in history. And he revealed himself in Jesus Christ, who died. 
But in his death, he conquered death. Now he lives. And then he started turning everything on its head. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And then he gave himself over to be crucified. But in the resurrection, Jesus proved that his kingdom superseded this world. It overcomes this world. He gave men the power to truly keep the law. He sent his spirit so that the law could be written on our hearts. He teaches us to love and obey. And he gives us the strength to overcome by grace, overcoming evil with good. And he does it with the weak and beggarly elements. The children, the base, the foolish things of the world. He took 12 Jews from a backwater province in Rome and conquered the world. He established his kingdom with the outcasts and the despised. And he did that for one very important reason, which we read all the way back in Ecclesiastes 3. God does it that men should fear before him. And Paul reiterates that here in 1 Corinthians, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Verse 29. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. And he is still superior to the best efforts of men. All glory, praise, and honor be to his name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, let's pray. This week has been a challenging and a humbling week for our congregation. We have gone through the valley of the shadow of death. Truman's death and resurrection have affected all of us profoundly. The Shanes have recently lost a grandparent. The Wallace's grandfather is in the hospital and already had injections to fight the effects of his CP. We have also been given the great blessing that Boaz was received into the church this morning. On the earth we see both good and bad, and we see suffering and rejoicing, and we are still wrestling through all of it, seeking the Lord's good pleasure and His sovereign purpose. All of this goes to show that we are not in control in this world. Our lives hang by a thread. Time and chance take their toll on us. Outside of God and faith in Him, we are all on a roller coaster of ups and downs that leave us gasping for breath or shaking our fist in the air. This is not what God wants for us. God has a peace for us that surpasses understanding. His wisdom is foolishness to the world. His ways are madness according to the flesh, but they are our lifeblood. God has shown us how to live by embracing Jesus Christ. We must hold on to him, and yes, that means that we must go through his death. We do have to take up our cross, but his death ends in life. 
When we let go of ourselves and die to ourselves, we receive Jesus and his life. This morning's message about working hard and seeing the superiority of wisdom is a call to embrace life despite the inequity and vanity we see in it. By faith, we can do what God tells us to. By faith, we eat and drink Christ. By faith, we look to God to make sense of the confusion that is our life. By faith, we know that God loves us. And by faith, we receive His good gifts. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. This table is for all who are baptized and in Christ's church. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.